0: Welcome, Legionaries, to Legion Cast Episode 3, Hobby Roundtable 13. I am your host, Warwick, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Brandon.
1: Hello, Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me. Those of you with a pile of shame that floods out of an entire room,
0: welcome to Legion Cast. And joining us is our co-host, Paul.
2: Thanks for having me back. And uh, a GW guy told me it's not a pile of shame, it's a, a pile of opportunity. That's the changing uh, modern language
0: for modern audiences.
1: (laughs) Changing hearts, changing minds, games workshop. No, you should be shamed. Paint your minis. Do as I say, not as I do.
0: Well, getting into this episode, we're going to be talking some hobby news. There are a couple of interesting things going on with some model announcements that are pretty cool. The Weta Workshop collab, which I'm kind of excited for. We're also going to be talking in a segment about using Primarchs in the game, as well as a Fulgrim's Quest talking about panning tanks. We've been doing a little bit of a tank painting challenge recently, and we're going to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yep, yeah, looking forward to today's episode. Um, going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to this. Yeah, we. I don't know that we really had a good formal kickoff on the show here, but we are doing a fall tank painting t- competition, kind of a rolling into Tanksgiving type event, so if uh, if you got some tanks out there that are sitting in their gray plastic form, paint them up, and uh, why don't you you know, drop them to us on Instagram or on X?
0: Elon made it weird. I guess,
1: thanks, Elon. It was always weird, but yeah, go ahead and hit us up on social media with those. We love seeing people's hobby, and uh, you know we will offer critiques, and by critiques, I mean we'll tell you you did a great job because we're all kind of crap painters here, so... <laughs> No, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Uh, before we get into the news, though, what are you guys working on right now?
2: Um, I'm just trying to get everything all together and at least put some base coats on everything before uh, work comes down here to play. That's next week, isn't it? Yeah, so just trying to get that so it's not all uh, gray plastic and uh, primer.
0: I have an incredible backlog, pile of opportunity, whatever. But currently on my painting desk over here to my right are 10 Full Taurus Terminators. I finally got the my new 3D printer all set up, and I was finally able to get the missile packs I needed for them all sorted out. I also finally finished building my 20-man Assault Marine squad, which I'm excited about. So I got all of that base painted this last weekend... And then I also finished painting my Cerberus Lord of War that I'll be talking about in our uh, tank painting segment. And on top of all that, I also painted 15 battle mechs for Battletech for a uh, local Battletech group here in town. I don't really play much Battletech. It's been forever since I've done that. But I wanted to help them out because... the, the One of the runners of that is a buddy of mine. We went to high school together. Anyway, uh, I had a lot of fun painting those. It's not my best work, but he, he wanted like an urban camo kind of thing done. So it was basically just uh, black, gray, and they're all clan mix. So I had to put a little emerald green on there for Jade Falcon because they're Jade Falcon urban combat mix or whatever. Uh, it was a neat little project, a little bit of a distraction. Kind of got me out of the monotony of painting blue all the time, but... Also on my painting table, I'll probably be finishing it when I'm down there in Dallas, but I've got my Sakarin mostly. Uh, All I need to do on that is just the metalwork, I think. And then also I need to get the base layering done on my Land Raider Proteus and actually get the treads put on that because I painted the treads on the sprue instead of trying to get a little brush and go in there and get all the tank wheels. But anyway, Brandon, what are you working on?
1: Yeah, I'm... uh... I got a couple of tanks sitting on my my desk right now as well. I've got my Typhon and my Spartan that are both primed up and uh, that I need to start working on. But I got a lot of infantry that I also want to get to, and I'm kind of looking at it. The The tanks are—we'll um, get into more of how I do it in the hobby section, but they're, they're a bit more laborious for me than, than regular infantry is, especially— you know, my infantry all hits a point where, you know, I lay the base colors down and then I do the oil paint. So I'm trying to get all those infantry ready for oil and then kind of moving on to the tanks because they got a few more steps than that. Um, so right now I am working on the next, uh, finishing off my 10 Deathwing companions, Paul and I, we might talk about our game a little bit uh, that we played recently, but I'm kind of souring on the inner circle nights, the dark angels terminators a bit, just, they just don't quite do what I want them to do, so I'm trying a different route. Going to go a little different direction here with it and uh, see how it goes. But uh, let's get into the news then, because there's been a lot of it.
0: Let's see the first thing, the first model announced that I was excited for is the Trader Champion, which I think looks better than the Loyalist Champion. Uh, he looks like
1: so much better. That thing is such a nice model. Um, I I don't care that they're advertising him as a Trader Champion. I am definitely going to be picking him up for my Dark Angels. Um, I think he looks great. Um, the The Mark III Artificer armor works for me. It's doing all the right things. There's one little Eye of Horus on there. Uh, too easy to file that off. Um, but no, I, I adore this model. This is one of the best consoles they've done so far.
2: Yeah, did you guys notice that uh, he has a unique power pack? Looks very different from any of the other ones we've seen. I thought that was pretty. Cool. Any uh, speculations about that? Uh, I think it's just they do this sometimes with character models, just rule of cool. I'd be surprised if we saw it on anything else.
0: One detail I like about this model is normally when they give us a model with a cape, it's the cape itself is mounted like underneath the backpack. The clasps clasps for his cape are on the shoulder pads on the top of the shoulder pads, so he's got like this full like full mantle. Almost for his cape, it looks really sick. So yeah, I really like how that
2: looks. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I wonder, considering how large the praetor in Age of Darkness was, I wonder if this is going to be scaled to that, where he's like almost this—he's like larger than a Terminator. Because that will be a little funky. It does look like he's on the forty mil base, but yeah, other than that, it'll be kind of. I'm, cool. I'm
1: pretty okay with that, honestly. These guys are supposed to be larger than life as it is, so it, it, it works. Like I said, this guy is working for me, he's working in all the right ways.
2: <laughs> 20 years from one now, we're six. gonna be playing Warhammer well, with 54-scale guys. Weta's just gonna take it from he's, here. we are in our Inquisitor models, models. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> one in <and> six. So <laughs> that is the huh? Well, how
1: great would that be? <laughs> that would be crazy. How great would that be? Uh,
0: so that being said, talking the traitor champion. The Space Wolves got some love last week. They finally got a Praetor model, which I th- also think's look which I also think looks great. It's the uh, Artificer Mark III power armor again, as well as new Mark Six helmets that are not goofy furry helmets.
1: Alright, I'm just gonna say this to all of our Space Wolf fans in the in the crowd. If you didn't like those old Mark Mark Six helmets, you're a coward. And I don't want to hear from you. Those were freaking
2: hilarious. I will say these new ones are kind of a a new direction for space wolves. I don't think I've ever seen anything.
0: Yeah, I I do kind of like them. The tops are kind of like a Spangenhelm, but you don't have the uh the chainmail kind of um, lower face neck guard kind of thing. I think that would have looked pretty cool if they had done something more like that, but then you wouldn't have the kind of iconic Mark 6 beaky helmet but this is uh kind of more of a neutral ground between the the wolf face helmets and like just getting straight up Mark 6 helmets.
1: Yeah, I don't know. To me it's just not out there enough for Space Wolves.
0: I'm not sure how I feel about the 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 head that comes in that pack without the helmet. He's got just like a little short mustache and goatee. He doesn't have, like, the big, burly dwarf beard like uh, a lot of space world models normally have.
2: Yeah, I'm assuming that's just ease of use. Those beards, like on the old Gray Slayers, were, like, impossible to work with and get the pose right.
1: If you go for this pack over the old one, you're a coward.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the the Praetor model also looks awesome. He's rocking the Fenrisian Power Axe and the Bolt Pistol, and he's got a... the kind of crested helmet for the Mark 3 power armor and the I think the banner the the banner looks really cool in my opinion. It's got the um kind of the Nordic tribal uh runic um uh, P- Imperial Aquila. It looks awesome on that banner.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great looking praetor. Um and, and really glad that they they got a really nice looking model because if I if I'm being honest, the the named space
2: wolf characters up to this point have they've just been okay at best. Yeah, well, I mean, I know it's something that the community has talked about a lot, which is a lot of the 1.0 Space Wolf stuff just didn't look as good as even the 40k equivalents. Um, It was kind of the discussion around those wolf heads. But even before that, a lot of the models that were coming out, everyone was like, why are Space Wolves the only ones getting this over-the-top cartoony look? And this does seem like a a step in the other direction like they've almost heard the criticisms and tried to clean up it's not
0: the over the top wolf aesthetic like we've gotten in the past but he's got this cool uh wolf's head on his like an actual skinned wolf's head on one shoulder guard he's rocking just a normal cape not like the whole thing isn't just some giant wolf pelt um one of the other details um that i really liked about this was the He's got the big rounded shield covering his backpack. That is such a cool aesthetic. And it reminds me of, um, well, even like Boromir in Lord of the Rings, he carries his big rounded shield on his back when they're traveling along. It looks really cool. There's some uh, really cool uh, wolf iconography on that shield itself. It's just a really awesome piece. I I really like it.
1: I, I love stuff like this of like, where do these guys actually hold stuff? when it's not in their hands, uh, because we know that power armor has like the mat, the mag locks and stuff, but that always just felt kind of weak. Um, so like the, the old, the Praetor model that came in age of darkness, like I love how he's got a scabbard. Um, actually, uh, the lion comes with a scabbard as well. And like that model, they put enough detail into you pick the scabbard based off of which sword you have. So I, I love stuff like that. I think this guy looks great. Space wolves is a tough legion. Because every single one of those guys is supposed to be just larger than life. And it, it, as far as le- the legions go, it's the one where every single guy has enough character to write a book about. So how do you find that balance? Um, and I think this model does a really good job of that.
2: It makes me wonder if they're going to redesign a lot of the older kits, too, to match this aesthetic.
0: Done a really balanced job of this one, because like, even his power axe isn't over the top. It's pretty pretty basic, really. Uh, it's not doesn't have a ton of ornamentation on it, but you can still tell it's a really nasty weapon. Yeah,
1: zero zero issues with this model. They yeah, really I, hit it I wonder if uh,
0: just the way that they painted some of this stuff has gone a long way, because the axe is just painted like a normal axe. It's not like the glittering rune frost that they put on a lot of the modern stuff. So this is just a very 30K weapon. It's not that kind of blown out of the water, uh, punchy-in-the-eye kind of aesthetic we've been getting.
2: I think this guy really encapsulates the idea of the route versus the space wolves. It's just that brutal, efficient savagery that you want when you talk about uh, this Legion.
1: Yeah. um, I will say, I I guess I am just a sucker for kind of the old look as well, though. Um, That's why... You know, with my Dark Angels, for example, the the most used kit that I use is the 40k Fallen kit because I love the full cloak over the armor. Like, it's a, to, I don't know, to me, I throw realism out the window with this kind of stuff. It's 40,000 years in the future and they're fighting with swords. Like, let's just lean full into
2: that.
0: So do we want to get into the Sarastis Knight pre-order? Do we want to talk about that at all?
2: Yeah, I don't know if there's really too much we need to say. We've kind of already touched on it. But yeah, they're up for pre-order, guys, if you want to do Sarastis. Yeah, it's the... What was it called here? The Battle for Fellweather Keep. Yeah,
0: I haven't had time to look Um, into it, and it was night, so I kind of... Just a quick exemplary battle,
2: just like the other ones. It'll be fun. Yeah the the only thing really to note from this um, specifically is it comes with a corrupted knights chart. Um, so like in Titanicus, if you want to run corrupted knights now, this PDF that you can download for free gives you the rules for that, so you can run your chaos. Knights yeah, really. I
1: mean, blessings. I don't know what to say about this. I'm glad it exists, and I'm moving on. Um, really happy for the the night players. Um, I hope that it, I hope that it's good for them. I hope that they wanted these kits, um, in plastic, because I mean they look good. I I won't be picking them up. Um, knights just aren't my thing.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you there. I'm not in. First off, I don't have the space for an, a knight army, even if I wanted one. Secondly, that's just not something that I could I could pump another couple thousand dollars into my ultramarines and still be happy. So. Um, if I started another army, it would be my traitor legion before I did knights anyway.
1: Definitely. I'm already looking at a third army, so. I, you need to I play gotta, at least one game
0: roll. with your emperor's children before you inevitably sell them off.
1: I gotta get one yeah, posted of
0: my emperor's those children. Those bodies of the I sun you off. did looked awesome, and you haven't finished the heads yet.
1: No, they're sitting right over there. Do I could it. I'll probably finish them in a couple of days, but I gotta do dark angels, man. I got the. I got the Ferrix event coming up, and so I got I to gotta have an army fully painted.
0: Yeah, I get that. Um, is fully painted army a requirement for that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably not going to make that. You bitch. Uh, anyway.
1: Ask yourself this. You're a Horus Heresy content creator. How many people have you played Horus Heresy with that haven't been on this show?
0: Donut. Yeah. I should start looking for games around here. <laughs> I am just so antisocial. It's really hard to do. Anyway. Um, getting into the new announcement from Weta Workshop and Games Workshop. They are going to be collabing to do a run of one in six scale figures for Warhammer. Now, they already do, you know, several different lines. They've got The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, a couple of Witcher figures. They've got, like, Henry Cavill, Witcher fighting a bunch of ghouls. It looks really cool. Too bad that show sucked. Uh, they do some Dark Crystal uh, figs. If you guys ever watch Dark Crystal, it's uh, the, the newer... I think it's Age of Resistance that came out on Netflix that didn't get a second season.
1: I need to I need to slow your roll for a second there. They, they have Geralt fighting a bunch of ghouls. You said Henry Cavill. Oh,
0: yeah, fair there enough. There is
1: no other Geralt.
0: Um, so yeah, they do have uh Geralt of Rivia fighting uh, anyway. When a workshop does a, a whole line of these awesome one in six figures in all these different franchises, they've got the rights to do a bunch of different stuff the big news is they're going to be doing a run of Warhammer figures. And I'm expecting like right out of the gate, we're probably going to get a Gilliman. We're probably going to get, uh, maybe like an Abaddon, your big characters, maybe a couple of like regular space Marines from like some of the iconic art. They will translate into a fig because it's kind of one of the things they do. Uh, one of the things I would definitely like to see is, well, of course, the heresy stuff, but getting, like, um, anid feel from No-No Fear or, or, like, some of the lesser-known characters that we don't have tabletop models for, even rules for, I'd love to see that. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I would say it's probably just going to be the big... I mean, it's probably going to be a lot of blue, if we're being honest. There's going to be a lot of blue. That's kind of what I'm thinking with that, which makes me less excited. I would love to see... I'd actually love to see that Lion uh, model from 40K come out as a as a one and six figure that would be pretty sweet because that model is chef's kiss um, if it wasn't so horrendously out of scale and if i wasn't already so happy with my current lion model i would have gotten
2: it yeah it'll be interesting to see because i know the other large scale figures they did were i think bandai did a line and then mcfarland toys did one and they were cool they just i don't know I already have too many plastic toy soldiers to be buying ones that don't have a game attached.
0: I'm probably not going to have the desire to pick them up just because they're not, they're not going to translate to the tabletop. Now, if we ended up putting together like a set, we would live stream from, it would be cool to have these like as part of our set, but that's a long ways off. I'm probably another year or two out from getting down to Dallas anyway. So uh, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see.
2: I'm also wondering on what the format's going to look like, because the previous ones were all like multi-posable action figure kind of things, and they even sold blank masters so you could paint them yourself. But if it's Weta, I'm almost expecting more of that, like, sculpted diorama kind of display, pre-painted, pre-posed, kind of just something you put on the mantelpiece and say, yeah, that's from Weta Workshop. Yeah, it'd be really cool, but i just wondering what it will look like. Let me also ask you this. Tag.
1: If Games Workshop wasn't so mercilessly expensive, would you be more interested in this?
0: You mean if I wasn't already spending so much money on heresy, would I put more funds to something like this?
1: If, the, if it didn't cost you so much to put your actual army on the table,
2: would you be more interested in something like this?
0: Mm, I don't think so. I think my interest would probably be about the same.
2: Yeah, to be honest, I mean, Brandon, you've seen my place. It's pretty Spartan. I don't really do a whole lot of decorative kind of items. I'm always just moving in and out of apartments, so having stuff like that is just dead weight.
1: See, I like that kind of stuff, but for me, with where I'm at now, if it ain't going on the, on the tabletop, it ain't getting bought.
0: Yeah, and I get that. And I, I, I'm kind of in a similar boat to Paul is that I think I've moved – like once every three or four years for the past maybe 15 years. So I've moved like three or four times, I want to say. And it's just, it's really hard to, to pack up a bunch of what feels like something frivolous if, when you're packing anyway. Uh, like one of the things, last time I moved, uh, for a while I was collecting like beer mugs, glass beer mugs. And one of the reasons why is like, I used to be pretty big into War Machine And every year when we would go to Gen Con, there was this uh, restaurant and brewery down the street from the convention hall called The Ram. And they would do like a big War Machine themed spread. So themed menu, posters all over the place. They'd sell t-shirts and mugs with like unique artwork of like some pinup girl drinking a Ram, uh, you know, a Ram beer or whatever. And they're really cool. I love collecting that stuff. And so I've got like a dozen or so of these heavy ass beer mugs that I have to wrap up in uh, newspaper and, you know, box up and they're just heavy and a pain in the ass to move. And I hardly ever use them anymore. So it certainly feels like something I'm glad I got at the time, but I now regret having to deal with now. So I'm a little more careful about those kind of purchases. Modern day.
2: Yeah. I used to collect vintage books and uh, in the past, like three years, just, Due to the roommate situation and rent rising, I've had to move like three or four times. And let me tell you, there's nothing more demotivating than having to pack and move like 200 pounds of really old novels.
0: Yeah, that is unfortunate. It's a problem that I'm running into right now with all the, the manga and light novels I've been collecting. I now have stacks of books all over my room of shit that I've read once, but I don't really want to get rid of yet. So I, I'm kind of in this weird in-between spot. And I'm really at a point where I need a bigger house, but uh, I'm kind of...
2: Yeah, the, these hobbies aren't really designed for the mobile individual. kind of need a a set place, an attic, <laughs> a garage, something.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I think I've moved like twice
2: in the past eight years, so...
0: When I open my garage door and pull the car out so I can prime miniatures, I look weird because, you know, I'm the one guy on my street that's spray painting little plastic models out in the open. So it's a little awkward when my neighbors walk by and i like, what the fuck is he doing?
1: Welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a good break. I know we did. So let's get into kind of our gaming talk for for this episode. Uh, I posed this question to you guys when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about bringing a Primark to your game because everywhere I go and every time I talk to somebody about playing this game, I say, oh, uh, I prefer we do no Primarks. And I'm always sitting here like, I got into this game because one of the main draws was every Legion has a Primark. So when I look at events and I see, oh, P- Primarchs are banned, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Not to say there's anything wrong with doing that. It's your event. Run it how you so choose. I'll choose whether or not I want to come based on that. It just, to me, it kind of seems like one of the things I hear a lot is, well, not everybody can deal with a Primarch. When I hear that, I say, well... Well, whose fault is that? If you could run it, if you're playing a game where you can run into primarchs, and you can't handle a primarch with your list, is that my fault for bringing something that I have access to, or did you just not build a well balanced list? Now, I'm all for talking to your opponent, agreeing on things. So if you say, "Hey, I want to try this thing out," but if you bring a primarch, it's just not going to work. And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, we'll run a game." You, every single game we play on this panel. We say, we bring in Primarchs? No? Okay. I just, I don't know, to me it feels like I have played so few games with the Lion and I'm like, I got into this game to have a Primarch on the board. So what are you guys' thoughts
2: here? I think it's similar to our discussion on Dreadnoughts that we've had before. Yes, the Fury of the Ancients list is a legitimate list that you can run but if you're putting that on the table that is a very strange list that A lot of like generic armies are not going to be able to handle, and you just steamroll a lot of people. Once you get into that three to four thousand point range and people are bringing more stuff, it's a bit more manageable, but especially in smaller point games, there's not a lot you can take that can counter, you know, like seven to nine dreadnoughts. I mean, even bringing five, I've noticed you guys have struggled sometimes just to deal with them. And that's why we've kind of had that like one dreadnought for every thousandth point. Sort of list just to deal with it. I've noticed we've I've had you run the lion against me when I don't have a primarch, and it does feel like there's not a lot I can do against it. Even you know, like Abaddon and ten Just Aaron, and I'm going to lose that fight. Or like I remember you talking about Eric bringing two Leviathans, and the lion soloed them in one round of combat. Like there, there's something to be said about how far up the power scale primarchs sit.
0: So I think that's one of my goals when I visit is I'm going to have Brandon take the lion in a couple of the games that we play. And I'm going to build a list without any named characters to see if I can legitimately counter him. And I think we, uh, we kind of decided we're also going to do the same thing with Lords of War, because now he's got his Typhon, I've got my Cerberus. Basically the plan is to build a list that can counter these kind of models, you know, without a similar one. And, you know, even In the couple of games that we have played, where it's been Primark on Primark, Gilliman eats dirt every time against the Lion. He is such a badass. And as awesome as Gilliman is, he just, you know, he's not going to be tanking those hits from the Lion because he's so powerful. I think that with the tools you have in the the generic army, I think you can do it, and it's my goal when I'm down there to prove that you can do it. Uh, I know last time I was down, I really struggled against Brandon. He had some really nasty stuff. Um, Paul, I definitely want you to run your 5 not list against me because I want to see if I could beat it this time. I guess I'm not. In, uh, another mindset that I have is that the character models as they are are in the game as the creators intended them to be, so i don't really agree with these events that's like no primarchs you know no named characters or whatever i'm not about that but again as brandon said it's your event run it how you want to but we're kind of ignoring the the spirit of the game as the creators intended and that's mainly what i have a problem with so i mean i don't have a problem with my opponent taking a primark when i don't have one or five dreadnoughts when i'm not when i don't have them i think it's the nature of the game to figure out to, to make the most of the situation you're on. And whenever I, whenever I build a list, I'm trying to build an all rounder. I'm not trying to, you know, build something cheesy that just does one thing. I, I, like I said, it's up to me as a player to build the most balanced experience list wise and game wise as possible.
2: That's an important note here. When we're talking about Primarchs, you can't build a balanced list. If you know, you're going to be facing one Primarchs on the table, alter the fundamental Strategy of the game because you have to build around the fact that you know a primark is going to be on the table. I think that's the problem. And so when it comes to tournaments, if you're trying to build a balanced all rounder list to take any comers, they put a primark on the table, that list will not function against them.
1: Well, let's hold the phone the here a little bit because I mean, as we know, the heresy community is really leery of the word tournament. Everything's supposed to be a narrative event. It's supposed to be about. People showing up, rolling dice and having fun. And I'm all about that. One of my my things, and you know, maybe this does come down to the fact that I have a really badass Primark and he's sitting on my shelf collecting dust most of the time. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the lion sucks. He's awesome. I've had him turn entire games on their head just by him being on the field for me. Um, I remember I played... Um, I played friend of the show, Lucas was bringing his Dark Angels with his Pride of the Legion list uh, with Corswain and his Deathwing companions against I had the Lion and his Deathwing companions. And the Lion turned that entire game. He swept up Corswain and his Deathwing companions and then swept up uh, a unit of 10 Terminators and then went and killed another unit of 10 Terminators. So I'm not denying that Primarchs can put in work. And yeah, he does. My argument with Gilliman. Is Gilliman makes your entire army better. The Lion is the Lion. He is a one man army and he's very good at that. But your guys were running around. The rest of my army in that game that we're referring to was crumbling to Warwick's army. Because they Gilliman just made his troops that much I, I better. can't
0: deny that. I can't deny that Gilliman does amazing things for my army. It's just really difficult to go tit for tat with the lion himself and we've already kind of covered.
2: I think another elephant in the room that we're not talking about is the cost, both points and dollars. I mean, I can't run Horace in my list both because I don't have the money to buy him. And also he's very points prohibitive to run. It's very hard to build a good sons of Horace list because he's 600 points. That's a fifth of a 3000 point army. And you just constantly find yourself lacking any points to run it. And that's not even talking about Ascended at 1,000 points. That's just ridiculous.
1: Well, and, you know, as we're talking about, though, he's 600 points, but he slaps everybody else around. Like, he slapped the lion around when we ran that duel.
2: Yeah, it's true. But, again, it's because he's so costly. It Again, it changes the build dynamic of the list. It is now, it's not a Sons of Horus list it's Horus the Warmaster list, and everything else around him is kind of like, oh, well, I have to take these tax troops to fill these slots, and the rest of my points are Horus.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Like I said, I think that... uh, I think that we kind of build Primarchs into this bugbear that cannot be defeated to an extent, though. You know, one of the things people seem to always forget about is that Primarchs can always get targeted, no matter even if they're in a unit. So... Is it costly? Sure. But if you had 10 last cannons shooting at a Primark every turn, that guy's going down. Like It may not be one turn. It may not be two, but he is going down. So I, I, I think that we get hung up on... The other thing I think we get hung up on is we're always asking ourselves, will my opponent have fun? And we don't allow ourselves to enjoy the game as well. Now I'm not saying go out there and slap your opponent down super hard and then just be like, well, it was fun for me. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if we're all constantly, if we're all constantly neutering ourselves in order to, you know perceivingly not give our opponent a bad time, to me, what, what it comes down to in the game, I don't have a good or bad time based on what's happening on the table. I have a good or bad time laughing with my opponent. Maybe if we're at an event, heading over to the bar between turns and drinking a beer real fast and then getting back to the game. That's what I have fun with. And if you're absolutely smashing me while we do that, I'm still going to have a good time.
2: And I think that has been something that I've noticed, especially when looking at the community and how they talk about things. There does seem to be a tendency to overcorrect a lot Like when the game first dropped and everyone was just railing on Fury of the Ancients, it was like, well, this list could be counterable. I understand that it's, you know, skews the game a certain way and makes it difficult, but it's not this like end all be all that people seem to be playing it up as. But at the same time, it is like, well, it does cause problems for a lot of players. So I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. I think the primarchs can be fun, but it does have to come with the agreement from both players that it's going to be, you know, suitable. I think that's the problem with like narrative events when you're showing up and you know you're going to be facing up against, you know, three to five people and you don't know what they're bringing till you show up. Having them put a primarch on the table can be just a real you know, air out of the balloon moment for you if you didn't plan for that or didn't bring the necessary things to counter that sort of threat. And again, because of how it changes the list building, it's really hard to prep for that. Yeah, I
0: totally get that. Um, in the As far as the Fury of the Ancients list goes, that's definitely one that your all-arounder kind of tournament list isn't going to be equipped to deal with if you knew you were going up against that it'd be a different story and i kind of wonder if the armored spearhead right of war kind of has a similar effect because nobody is going to be bringing a list set up to take on nine tanks you know i think i built i think i built like a three thousand point list that was like uh 15 or no sorry um 12 to 15 tanks at one point i think anyway
2: yeah I, i still remember one of the first games i played with brandon and I was running veterans because I thought they were cool and I wanted to try them out. And what I realized very quickly was okay, these guys are all like strength four with Carsoran power axes. And I have a Spartan, a Land Raider, and a Leviathan and the Lion in front of me. This unit literally cannot do anything against anything in front of me. Like, this is a really bad matchup. And I had to change how I thought about a lot of the stuff with the game.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of uh, thoughts in my headspace. A bit there uh, i don't think that there's necessarily a right answer to this um, i definitely think if we as a community are too quick to be like oh none of this none of this none of this it doesn't allow the game to evolve naturally and the game first came out for example and everybody was making a big deal of fear of the ancients i brought a couple of contemptors against uh, our friend martin emery and he was like, okay, I'm going to kill that Contemptor turn one. And having these things built up in my mind, I was like, no, you're not. You better believe that he did. And he was not even done shooting at that point. So I think that if we if we let these things get built up as like, oh, they're too good. We're not going to allow them, whatever. Then nobody ever learns how to deal with them. Paul, you brought that five dreadnought list against me. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of dreadnoughts. But I was like, I have strategies to deal with it. Now, they didn't end up going my way in that game. Um, I I did destroy one, I believe. That it just... Some dice didn't go my way. You got your deep strike to go off perfectly. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, I did get a good chuckle because you were sitting there complaining about close combat for the longest time. And how they overbalance shooting. And then one round of combat, you swept up a 20-man tactical squad with a single dreadnought. And I was like, hey... Remember that?
0: <laughs> Abaddon completely leveling a 10-man unit of Culverins and a Centurion in one round of fighting. Well, there is that, of course. Yeah, and
2: still <laughs> losing out on the points trade. It, that's the crazy... Yeah, that was the crazy thing. Is we The dust settles and Abaddon stands alone. And for some reason, you still came ahead of that by like 300 points. I was
0: just so <laughs> frustrated. Because you had... It was like a daisy chain of Terminator stuck between two of your Dreadnoughts. And I was like, he's just going to keep consolidating. It doesn't matter. N- nothing I do matters. He's just going to keep
2: killing me. <laughs> yeah. When I saw because you got that weird wraparound on that other unit. So I was like, Dreadnought on this side, Dreadnought on this side. I've got you.
1: <laughs> Those big, cool units like that, like Abaddon and Tengestarin or like a Primarch, that causes the most memorable games. Like we always bring up that example of the lion soloing two Leviathan dreadnoughts because you know what? I, I don't remember what else happened in that game. That was amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's why it works is because we're friends and we have the rapport and the understanding, you know, that we're going to be going into this, looking to have a good time. It makes those memorable moments fun and something we can talk about later. But when you're just meeting up with some random guy at a store and you're like, hey, let's do a pickup game. That guy's not going to walk away going, dude, the lion just killed like two Leviathans for, for nothing. Like, that's not a good moment for him. That's a feel-bad moment. It works for us because we have... If you say, hey, let's do a pickup game, and I say, hey, are you cool with Primarchs? And
1: you say yes, and I show up with a Primarch, don't get butt hurt when you didn't bring anything to deal with that.
2: Yeah, but I, I think that's the problem with narrative is you don't really get that opportunity until the lists are already locked in and you're showing up. And I think that's why they kind of have to just gatekeep it at the beginning to say either all Primarchs or no primarks, And whoever's signing up is going to have to be okay with either decision. But yeah, in, in terms of casual play with individuals, I think it's fine as long as you're communicating. But yeah, in terms of that more structured or competitive type of scene, it's just not. Yeah, really fair
1: hard. enough. Um, the moral of this entire segment is I want to bring the lion more because he's awesome.
2: <laughs> Everybody buy your Primark. That. We want to play with him.
0: <laughs> so, do we want to get into our Fulbrums quest? Right Let's on. Do it. So, this fall, we've been doing an, an, a bit of an armor challenge between the group. I know we've mentioned that a time or two. I have recently finished my, my Cerberus Lord of War with the uh, Laser Dick of Doom. And I'm really happy with it. I need to touch up a couple of things. I didn't really get the, uh, the crosshair on the tactical iPad proper uh, the way, were, way that I wanted it. But other than that, I'm super happy with it. I think the hull the color turned out awesome. I even got my water transfers on there from the Ultramarines transfer set. It looks amazing. But why don't you guys go ahead and tell me about the progress you've made on your armor sets.
1: Progress on my armor sets is pretty easy. There hasn't been. And I, it's a lot to do with picking the right technique. And I think we can talk about that a bit here. I got into these oil paints with these guys and I said, this is really cool. The biggest the reason that I did that was I have been trying to step up my level of painting recently. And in picking Dark Angels, a army that has a primarily black color. There's kind of two ways that you can make black look good. You can go the oil paint route, which is the one I went with, or you can do a boatload of edge highlighting. And that's just not me. It's not how I like to play with my paint. Um, it, it just would have been too much of a struggle for me. So I, I went the oil paint route. I really liked how they started to come out. I was like, okay, but what am I going to do for my vehicles? And with vehicles, I really struggle with big flat panels. It's hard. You can try to be dynamic with them, but if it doesn't go well, it's going to look really bad. And so I found a technique on YouTube that I really enjoyed that uses um, chipping medium, which is something I had never used before. And the idea was that you spray kind of a, a gray undercoat and a white undercoat underneath this black, and then you take the cover it in chipping medium, put the black on and pull that black back off. So it looks like it's naturally wear and tear. It looks great. You guys have seen, I did this technique with my rhinos and with my dreadnoughts. You guys have seen them. I think they came out really well. It, it takes me like four hours to do a tank when I'm doing this. Um, Cause you got to let that stuff set. You get, so you got to do, you got to prime it. Then you got to hit it with the gray. Then you got to hit it with chipping medium. You got to let the chipping medium set. You got to put the, the white on top. You got to chip that. You got to let that set. Then you got to go with the chipping medium again. Let it set again. Go with the black. Let it set. Chip it. And then you're finally done with with just the first stage. Now we get into actually painting it. You know, it's been one of those things. I've got these these two tanks sitting over here. Um, I've got my my Spartan. And my Typhon, which, you know, Warwick says that he's a narrative gamer, loves the story of everything. I buy a Typhon, he immediately goes out and buys a Cerberus. So that, don't let him fool you. Anyway, it's just kind of been holding me off because I'm like, you know, I need to do all this, but it's so time consuming. I just don't have the time right now. I've got other things sitting there staring at me that I also need to get done. So I really just need to take the time to sit down and be like, all right, we're doing this and it's happening and then just do it.
2: Yeah. It sounds like you kind of have the same problem I do with every army, which is I get this very cool, very convoluted paint scheme going on. And it's just so many steps and so much effort that it does kind of take the wind out of your sails after the first model.
0: Well, I got to say, Painting large flat surfaces in blue is very easy for me. Maybe I'm just lucky because blue is a very forgiving color, but the the hull technique and I know I've talked about it a dozen times, I just stipple it and I wash it. And especially on this Cerberus and on my Land Raider Spartan, it came out great. My Rhino for whatever reason doesn't look as good, but the um, the Spartan and the Cerberus look great. Uh, you know, also I was able to learn a, a new technique. It's a very simple one, but I did learn the kind of heat hazing or the, the heat stress on the end of the, uh, services, big neutron laser, whatever it is. Uh, and I'm really happy with that turned out. So not only was it a very easy project for me, it knocked out this challenge and I learned something new. So very happy with that.
1: Yeah, I think that your your technique that you had adopted there just lent itself very well. Um, not necessarily that blue is an easy color to work with. I mean, I don't think it's the hardest color to work with out there, but I think you, you developed a technique that kind of worked. It works on your infantry. It works on your vehicles. It just kind of works. Yeah,
0: and it's... Going back to how I'm a bit based in the narrative, uh, I think it's very Imperium Secundus. It leads lends to this very kind of grim dark. I don't want to say inconsistent, but kind of broken up different look. It's a far cry from the very trim and proper kind of boys in blue that we see in 40k, especially, you know, this is a much more kind of ragged rough and tumble kind of feel to me.
1: Definitely. Um, and that's kind of what I was going for as well. I went for a very grim, dark look. Um, now I think a, a lot of folks in, uh, in heresy, go for that as well. Uh, but it there's a reason for that. It looks really good. Paul, why don't you tell us about uh, what do you do when you're painting a vehicle?
2: Yeah, to be honest, vehicles are something that I've largely avoided, partially just as a cost prohibitive thing. The tanks usually tend to cost the most. And so they're always the last thing on the list I can get my hands on. Yeah, flat panels are always going to be really difficult. I think Brandon is in a one of those unique positions where black white and grays are always like really hard to get looking right black in particular if you try to mix in any other color starts to read as that color and white it's just really chalky and hard to get done properly so that's always been a struggle yeah one of the things that i've done in the past at least painting tanks is if you do have a lot of flat space that you're not really sure what to deal with adding in a lot of decal work tends to help break that up a little bit and distract away from how open the space is. Um, I mean, even if you're looking at like historical games and other references like that, you'll see that like tanks are covered in all kinds of like marking symbols and hazard striping and, you know, front end point towards enemy kind of stuff, which adds a little more flavor to the tank and helps distract from how flat the thing can look if you don't, Uh, fully highlight the model in terms of what I'm working on now sons of horse kind of playing into that whole avoiding tanks thing are really restrictive on vehicles. It's very infantry based. And so I, I think the only tank I have is I guess I have some rhinos, but I have a Spartan and I never use it because it just never fits into lists. Um, I did buy a Zyphon less because I thought it was going to be tactical or anything. And just because I wanted a flyer because I thought they were cool. That one I haven't gotten to painting yet. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. I'm still working with the resin, which, as you can imagine, is always a whole lot of fun. So we're still at that assembly stage, but once I get to painting, we'll see how it goes. It'll be a lot of airbrush work for sure and try to feather in that jade green color to differentiate shadow and highlights and kind of blend it together so you don't end up with a lot of really harsh like hand-painted lines
0: one thing that i want to try on like after i get my airbrush set up is i want to actually tape the hull so it looks like it has chevrons or like a racing stripe on it and airbrush that on because i just don't think it would look good if i tried to hand paint it but that is um, maybe one of my other like my next big hole that i do i'll put like a, a stripe or a chevron on there somehow after i get my airbrush setup. Have you guys ever thought about doing anything like that? Because as it goes, like I know on the Predator I did for you, Brandon, and the couple of holes I've done now, I just pick out some like the recessed panels to put my, my white on. And that kind of works for me.
1: Yeah. I've done some Chevron work in the past and i found airbrushing makes it a heck of a lot easier. Um, And then, you know, Paul, what you were talking about as well. I think that's a big part of it too, is getting these, soft transitions on your armor is really important because the hard lines just don't read well and again with black the problem is is that if you try to do that it, it doesn't end up being black anymore it ends up being blue or gray or even white i've seen happen as well and that just it looks wrong and I'm not going to lie. I I took on these Dark Angels as part of I I wanted to get better at black. And I think I have gotten better at black. But it is very hard still.
0: So if you're unable to do your oil technique like you normally do, I know when I did the Predator for you, I edge highlighted everything. If you do have the edge highlight on your Dark Angels, do you prefer like a gray or a blue? What what do you think your edge highlight go-to is? Have you just ever done it?
1: I would go gray with the Dark Angels, um, because again, I'm going for this more worn look. Blue to me is like a metallic black, but it's very clean, so that's why I kind of stay away from blue. I think it can look good. I've seen it look good. I've seen it look really good, but it, it does. Again, it looks very clean.
2: Yeah. One other tip that I see Warhammer players in particular never use or really I should say rarely ever use is a lot of the like weathering techniques you see in historical games. You know, if you look at like the flames of war community, the amount of like, like dust pigments and rust effects and stuff that they do on tank treads, it changes the model dynamic completely, but you don't see it a lot with games workshop products. I almost wonder if it's because their model line has never really included that stuff outside of forge world. But if you really want to add a lot of character to a tank, buying those pigment powders and those like Tamiya weathering palettes really go a long way to add depth to the model. Pigment powders are just amazing. A flat paint.
1: Scheme. Um, I, that is something I do yeah. use on these guys. I think they're fantastic.
0: That's definitely something that I want to try. I just haven't had the opportunity to do it yet. And in a way, the the style that I've chosen to pursue with my Ultramarines is pretty linear in a kind of way. So it's it's hard for me to be as, I guess it's not difficult. I just, I don't have a lot of reason to go outside of my comfort zone with this army because it practically paints itself.
1: Hey, if you've gotten that technique down like that, that's great. You know, that's, that's part of what it's all about is getting that technique to the point where you can do it quickly. And that's just what I've struggled with with this army is I can't do this technique quickly. And I I find I struggle with that with a lot of armies.
2: I've always wondered if that's why they chose Ultramarines for the poster boys and a lot of the promotional stuff. That blue, like you said, it's very forgiving. It's very eye-catchy. That blue and gold just really pairs well together. You know, as opposed to if they had made, like, Dark Angels, the poster boys, with, you know, dark blacks and greens, where it'd probably be a bit too muted and not as vibrant. I wonder if that's why they made that decision to go ultramarine. Uh,
0: the blue technique is much easier than the black technique. Even I, uh, I've been painting black space marines for all way, like 15 years now because uh, that's just what I've done since high school and I've gotten a lot of practice at it so I kind of take it for granted now but uh, it, it first, like going back and looking at my first gen hellhammers, they look terrible. They're awful but um, this uh, kind of the newer Primera stuff I've done in the past couple of years looks much better.
1: Well, I think you kind of fell into that trap that yeah. uh, painting black comes with, where you can just say, I'll just spray paint them black and then they'll be done. They're not done at all. They, as a matter of fact, you've barely
2: started. Yeah. That, that was my Raven guard <laughs> black straight out of the rattle can, a little silver on the weapons and done. Which if that's what you want
1: to do, fine. But if that's if you want something, if you really want that black to actually kind of have a realism to it, get a lot. When you're way young and dumb,
0: you uh, will dry brush black with red. Yeah, for sure. So you'll dry brush dry brush over black with red and say it looks like lava. Quotation marks. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It looks like garbage. You're a terrible painter.
2: Well, We all had to start somewhere. Ironically,
1: you cannot say the same about spray painting everything white and saying it's white armor uh because white just looks like crap dude i'm so self-conscious <laughs> about
0: any of the white i do on my ultramarines i'm like here i go paint white it's again so it's gonna look like dog shit no matter what
2: i do yeah that's why when you see a white scars player that with that really competent paint scheme you're like man that guy's <laughs> got to be a master painter because he's looking so good
1: <laughs> yeah especially because if that red spills over yeah there's a no going
2: bit, back you've got to be good <laughs> Yeah, you just, just buy it, a whole new so box
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> I will say one of the things that's helped my white painting is just picking up the uh, is it like apothecary white contrast and any defects I have in it I just blame on the contrast paint.
1: Uh, one of the effects, ironically, we're di- we're talking about this on painting white right now. One of the most effective ways that I have found for painting white is to not paint white. So just use a very light off gray. And it looks 100 times better than white. And to the eye, you have to get really close to realize that it's not white. And that dentist white, it just doesn't look real. I think that's a big part of it, too. Also, don't use it as your primary armor color. Sorry, white scars, guys. I respect you, but I don't want
2: to be you. <laughs> yeah. Crying in One of the these cold. days, you'll get your jet bike.
0: Uh, so we've gone from how to paint tank halls to just don't paint white, ever. Just give up. There's no learning it. There is no hope. Sorry.
1: Great roundtable, everybody. Let's just pack well, it this in. This is
0: probably going to be a shorter... Well, this is a much shorter episode than <laughs> our last episode. Going over Age of Darkness was a bit of a bear, but... Yeah, so our next book is The Outcast Dead by... This by Graham McNeil, right? I've read this one once a long time ago, and I was not a fan of it. But I'm definitely willing to give it another shot. I think that one's just going to be Brandon and I. That's okay. And I think, um, if the timetable adds up, we'll be recording.
1: I think we're going to be recording it from the same microphone.
0: Go ahead and look us up on social media, uh, at legioncast 18, a horse heresy podcast on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Go ahead and shoot us an email. legioncast 18 at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Definitely send us in those, you know, uh, armor pieces that you've been working on on either one of those platforms or you know even instagram i still have that account i haven't done anything with it yet i should definitely look us up share this podcast with your friends give it a rating give it a comment like and subscribe all that good stuff
2: yeah thanks for having me on again guys it's always fun to come on here and play devil's advocate in the arguments
1: yeah paul always a pleasure to have you on here um and like i said good conversation all around Um, Thanks for stopping by, everybody, and remember to march in Fortune.